welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Hey, Kingdom Culture, so excited to see you this morning. You know, we live in a world where conflict is everywhere. If you haven't noticed, if you're on social media at any capacity, you would know that it seems like the whole world is at war with each other. Facebook, Instagram, and now TikTok. It just seems we live in a world of combat. And I want to say this, that in a world that's driven right now by social media, it's easy to forget the value of face-to-face conversation, dealing with conflict with the person actually in front of you. Now, I know there's many different reasons, especially in a time right now where we don't have the same face-to-face ability like we used to, but we can't forget the value of it. So many of us deal with conflict very differently. I spoke a message six years ago called Face-to-Face Combat, How Do We Handle conflict that I believe is applicable for us today. I believe it will encourage you. I believe it will challenge you. And it's funny because when I think about that message years ago, I remember that that day that I spoke that message, my wife drove herself to the hospital. She was actually in the hospital while I was speaking that message about to go into a life altering surgery. And so for me, it's a, it's a, it's a significant message. It's a significant memory where everything changed for my wife. But I believe this, that this message will encourage you. It will rattle you a little bit and you're going to hear a little more of an intense version of Sean in this message. So get ready, buckle your seatbelt. It's going to be an intense ride. I believe God has a message for you this morning. Check this one out from the archives face-to-face combat, how do we handle conflict? Enjoy. This morning, my message is called face-to-face combat. Combat. How do we handle conflict? Everyone say face-to-face combat. Face-to-face combat. Now, I know that Combat has a sort of a little bit of a negative connotation to it, negative tone to it. But I'm really bringing, you know, us into an awareness of something that is in natural family, in relationships, and in the body of Christ often is not really talked about or or not really understood as far as the value of handling conflict. How many have conflict right now in their life? A few of you, the rest of you are on to perfection and you'll be in heaven really soon. But, you know, at some level, there is in all of our lives, at some level, there is potential unresolved conflict, right? How many know there is sometimes there's no go zones? How you know with their parents, brother or sister, friend, certain friends, that there are certain zones you just don't go to in conversation. Because you know if you do, something's going to happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. Well, that usually means there's some level or form of conflict within that individual. Whether it's a conflict between you and that individual or just within their own soul, they're battling something and they don't know how to deal with it. And whenever you bring it up, it, 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 it exposes something that's uncomfortable for them. And, and nobody likes being uncomfortable, right? Except for people that are spiritually mature. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But honestly, you know, God, I think, likes sometimes, I think he likes actually most of the time to make us uncomfortable. Because most of the time when we're uncomfortable, something's being dealt with, right? Most of the time when God, you know, you know, reveals something or something is said that really bothers us at the core of who we are, most of the time it's because God's saying, hey, I want you to deal with this. I want you to become aware of something that maybe you're not aware of, but the reason why it's bothering you so much in your mind is because I'm, I want to expose your, your heart in an area, and I want to help you walk through an area that's become a wall in your life, a no-go zone in your life. Not only do I see it, but people around you see it. And I want you to be healthy. I want you to last the long haul. How many get where I'm going with this? So the purpose of this message really is to prove the value of working through conflict rather than running from it. I, I believe it's God's design plan to restore. How many believe that? It's so easy. And I've had, you know, I have been shocked in the context of the body of Christ. How many mature, so-called mature believers and leaders... Well, before any, before any research, before any historical background, background, before any relationship connection to an individual, will counsel somebody and say, yeah, just leave your husband. Or, yeah, just leave your wife. I, I'm actually shocked by it, and I'm actually disgusted by it. And I have an example. There was a couple um, years ago that came to me, and I knew them. And they came to me, and, and uh, their marriage was in crisis, and they were in, uh, actually at that time, there, were, there was a separation, and there was some legitimate reasons, but, um, you know, that could justify why there needed to be a break at the time. But it was a hard time for this couple, and the, the woman had come to me and, and was kind of sharing with me the, the story, and without really even going into all the history and really understanding the everything behind the, the relational breakdown, I was praying for her, and I said to her, I said, listen, I said, God's heart is to restore. And I believe no matter how bad it is, no matter how much, how much justification you have to leave this man in your life, God can restore this relationship. He can. And in fact, he wants to. Because God's a restorative God. Don't you believe that? Like, God's not like, okay, I want to restore this, but I don't want to restore that because that's just unrestorable. Like God doesn't, God doesn't look at situations like that. God sees the, the potential, the best. And I remember I looked at her and I said, listen, I, I believe God wants to restore your marriage. And it's funny because she told me, she said, you are the first person that has told me that. That's given me any sort of hope to hold on to. She said, every Christian counselor in this city that I've seen, spiritual leader in churches, that we all know very well in this city, people that are respected in some level of leadership told me to leave my husband. Just so flippantly. And I was like, are you kidding me? And listen, God wants to restore your message. Well, guess what? Or your marriage. Guess what? Two years later, they come back to me. They renewed their marriage vows and they're married again. Yeah. And I just thought to myself, thank God that somebody saw the potential in a situation where nobody else did to restore a marriage that was going through major conflict. 
You see, we can so easily give up and just say, you know what? Well, there's no point. You know, don't deal. Don't have a face-to-face. Don't just run away, you know. But you know what? True honor. Let me tell you this. Write this down if you're taking notes. True honor run, runs towards conflict for resolve. Dishonor runs away from conflict. Let me say it again. True honor will cause you to run towards the conflict in a situation or a relationship for the purpose of resolve or restoration. You may not get it. You may not get the restoration you're looking for, but it's God's heart. You pursue it. Just like God, listen to this. God has been pursuing you since the day you were born. And you did not deserve one moment born into sin. You do not deserve one moment with a loving God, but God in his grace and mercy said, listen, I don't see you by your issue. I don't see you by your sin. I see you redeemed because that's what my son did. That's what he died for. So when you're at the moment you were born, he was pursuing you. Now, you may not open the door of your heart to restore the relationship that was lost in the beginning of time with Adam and Eve, but he's still pursuing you. Because we believe, Scripture says, it's God's will that none shall what? Perish. None. It's not God's design plan. Hell was never created for you and I. The Bible says hell was created for all the fallen angels and the devil. But by our choices, we, God's pursuing us, knocking on the door of our heart all the time through many different situations. You're here because God's knocking on the door of your heart in many different areas. And all you got to do is open up the door. And once you open up the door, everything changes and restoration happens. Because you guys, listen, there was a conflict in the beginning of time. With Adam and Eve, when they chose in the garden to be independent from God, they chose to eat off the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When God said, if you eat off it, you'll die. They chose, they made that choice. And all of a sudden, in one moment, conflict arose between man, all humanity, and God. And there was a wall of isolation because of sin, because of one choice. And since the beginning of time, God's been pursuing the generations to resolve that conflict. So Jesus was sent. Combat mode gave his life so we could have life. Let me just define this word conflict really quickly. Is It's a serious disagreement or argument. It can be an incompatibility between two or more opinions, principles, or interests. Or a condition in which a person experiences a clash of opposing wishes or needs. I love what the author Larry Crabb suggests, says this. I love this quote from author Larry Crabb, says this. The difference between spiritual and unspiritual community is not whether conflict exists, but is rather in our attitude toward it and our approach to handling it. So we can say, well, you know, we can blame the church and say the church is not the best example to the world, and the church kind of has just as much divorce as the, the world does, and, or even more, you know, if you were to do a statistical study on it. And, and you can say all these things, and we can just talk about bad about God's wife because we're his wife. Technically, the Bible says we're his bride. We can just slander God's wife all we want because how many have been guilty of slandering God's wife? God's got a pretty strong backbone. You better be careful how much you slander his wife. If you're a husband in here, just imagine somebody's talking bad about trash about your wife all day long. The church just doesn't get it. Your wife just doesn't get it. They just don't get it. Why do they got to have all those lights? Why does that wife have to wear all those clothes that she wears? And we just kind of trash God's bride, right? Without even realizing that God's like, what? 
Like, you better be careful. You're stepping on dangerous ground. God's packing heat, man. I mean, I know he's full of love, but he's got a lot, he's got a lot of backup. He's got thousands of angels. You better be careful where you go with God's wife. Let me tell you, God's wife's not perfect. Just like you're not perfect, God's wife's not perfect. We as the body will have division. We as the body will make mistakes. We as the body will have conflict. We as the body will be messy at times. There will be, it will be messy in the church. In fact, it's a, I think it's a good sign when things are messy in church sometimes. And I'm not talking about spiritual disorder or chaos. I'm talking about you come in broken, you're messed up. But guess what? God sees you redeemed. God sees you as whole. So we embrace you in your messed up situation because God does. You're not going to be perfect. You won't have it all together. You will screw up day after day. But guess what? God's grace is really good. Sometimes to me, if if there's a lot of messed up people in a church, it's kind of a good sign to me. Because at least they're in church. (laughs) Say to the person next to you, you're really messed up. But so am I. So conflict will always exist. I love this. I read this online the other day. Jean Vanier, founder of L'Arche. I can't say it. Lark. L'Arche. Sorry, L'Arche. Become le L'Arche. <laughs> those are my, my French filler words that I learned from my wife. Communities across the world that give disabled people the chance to discover their true worth, and I, beauty wrote this, communities need tensions if they are to grow and deepen. Tensions come from conflicts. A tension or difficulty can signal the approach of a new grace of God, but it has to be looked at wisely and humanly. The question isn't, will I face conflicts, but how can I best manage conflicts when they arise? In other words, conflicts simply cannot be avoided. So it's not a matter of will it happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen in church. It's going to happen with the person beside you possibly today. You may have a conflict. I don't like when you wave your hands and your body shakes. It bothers me. You know, it makes me uncomfortable when you laugh in church or, or get up and dance or whatever the conflict might be in your own soul. And let me just tell you, you don't got to approach everybody with a conflict you have towards them and apologize to them. Because most of the time, nobody cares about your issue before you even declare you have an issue. Once you declare you have an issue, then everybody cares because all of a sudden you've made it known to everybody. Some issues got to keep to yourself. Conflicts you have within yourself against a situation or a person, unless they are in the knowledge of hurting you or damaging you, don't go and apologize to them. Because they were fine before you said that. You see what I'm saying? I always say this because, you know, I I was a victim of this for, for years in the charismatic church. I had long dreadlocks for seven years as a minister. Long dreadlocks. This was not before I was saved. Okay, I had long dreadlocks. You know, and people would always come up to me in the in, in meetings and things that I was speaking at and say, I got to apologize. I judged you when I came in because of your look. I didn't, I didn't think you could be a minister. Like, well, that's okay, but you didn't have to tell me that because I was fine. Now I'm all aware who else was judging me in the room, you know, like. So there are some conflicts you got to keep to yourself. But let me just say this to you. Those who do not embrace conflict to grow relationship often 
are people pleasers. And the reason why they don't embrace conflict is because they want to find an experience of what I would call a false sense of peace. It feels good not to approach or embrace the conflict that I have to approach because if I do that, it's going to bring emotions up in me that I don't like to have and I won't feel peace even though there is no peace in the relationship. I want to feel like there's no peace even though there actually isn't any peace. It's a false sense of peace. And, and what happens is those individuals get stretched both ways. You ever heard, you ever, you ever seen those like figurines like Stretch Armstrong? You ever seen those, those, those guys? They're kind of stretched both ways, just like this. Look at those abs, eh? That's Joe way back in the day. He was white, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if we don't embrace conflict we end up becoming like this we're being pulled on both sides but there's no peace on the inside we feel the tension we just don't want to deal with it and God wants us to learn how to embrace conflict uh, you know this happened to Peter go to Galatians 2 verse 11 to 8 Peter you know was the, the, really the guy who was the forerunner to initiate the birth of the church. He was the first person who got up when the Holy Spirit was poured out and preached the gospel and 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus that day. It was a supernatural event. Um, I mean, it was crazy, and Peter was, was the catalyst for it. I mean, Peter was there at the right time, the right moment, 9 o'clock in the morning, stood up, and just really gave it to them, explained what was happening, the chaos in that, in that moment where everybody looked like they were drunk, they were hammered out of their mind. At 9 o'clock in the morning, he was explaining, no, this is not, they're not drunk, it's only 9 in the morning. This is what Joel prophesied way back, way back in the day that one day the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh and this, will, this is what would happen. Well, this is that, Peter said. And so Peter also was one of the three closest to Jesus. There was Peter, James, and John. Peter was the oldest of the disciples. So you'd think he'd be the most mature of the disciples. Peter, you know, really was the loudmouth of the group. So you'd assume he'd be the boldest. Peter, you know, was also the one that denied Jesus right after he was arrested in the garden. In fact, Peter was the one that defended Jesus when he was in the garden, but then he denied him moments later. So Peter kind of had a little bit of a schizophrenic lifestyle spiritually. It was up and down, up and down. And, and yet Peter, you know, Jesus spoke highly of Peter, but he also rebuked Peter. So Peter really had it all from all sides. I mean, he had to deal and embrace with lots of conflict within himself, but also conflict with his master, Jesus, right? So Peter, I mean, he was a pretty well-rounded guy in his experience. And so this is in Galatians, and Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 to 18. says, later when Peter came to Antioch, which is the, the place where uh, believers in Jesus were first called Christians, it was like an apostolic sending center to really dominate the regions around and, and to preach the gospel. It was like a sending center. It was a missional sending apostolic center. So Peter came to Antioch, and Paul said, I had a face-to-face -face confrontation, face-to-face -face combat with him because he was clearly out of line. 
here's the situation. I got to understand, like, Paul is like Peter's inferior to some degree because Peter's been around a lot longer. Peter was actually with Jesus. Paul wasn't. Paul was a murderer of Christians. I mean, Paul had a lot of things that went against him. Peter had a lot of things going for him. And yet Paul now is the one reprimanding Peter with face-to-face combat, dealing with a conflict. Here is the situation, Paul says, earlier, before certain persons had come from James, Peter regularly ate with the non-Jews. But when the conservative group came from Jerusalem, he cautiously pulled back and put as much distance as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends. So what was happening is was he was one way with his non-Jewish friends, the Gentile community, because he also, what we have to remember too, is that Peter was the first person to preach the gospel to the non-Jews. He was the one commissioned by God. You can read it in Acts 11, or Acts, yeah, Acts 11. No, Acts 10. Acts 10, sorry. You can read it in Acts 10. He was the first person to, com- to be commissioned by God himself to preach the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, to the Gentile community, to the non-Jew community, which would be like most of you and I in this room, okay? So he was one way with his non-Jewish friends, then he was another way with his Jewish friends. He was doing one thing with his non-Jewish friends, and then when all of a sudden his conservative Jewish friends would come, he would act totally different. How many know people kind of like that? Well, you know, oftentimes people kind of like that. They're facing their own inner conflicts. They might be doubting what they believe. They, they, they might not know really who they are because why are they one way with one kind of people and another way with another kind of people? Now, I know Paul says be all things to all people, but he's not talking about this specific scenario. Peter was appeasing both camps and in an unhealthy, unhealthy way. That says here, that's how fearful he was of the conservative Jewish clique. clique. That's been pushing the old system of circumcision. Unfortunately, the rest of the Jews in the Antioch church joined in that hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was swept along in the charade. So now his issues of conflict within within himself, Peter, is now influencing other people to also have inner conflicts. And it's creating now conflict to someone like Paul who spends his life literally trying to rearrange people's thinking into a new covenant mentality that Jesus has come to set you free from the law of sin and death and give you the law of the spirit of life, which is the new covenant of grace. And and Paul's heart as a father in the church was to establish an understanding of grace. And yet, Peter and his inner conflict was now influencing people to go back under the bondage of, I gotta get circumcised. I gotta do this. I gotta do that. That's what, my, the, the, that's what the Jewish law says. I gotta do this. And, and Peter was kind of wishy washy. And so Paul had a face to face confrontation with Peter. Verse 14 But when I saw that they were not maintaining a steady, straight course according to the message, I spoke up to Peter in front of them all. This is face-to-face combat right here. If you, a Jew, live like a non-Jew when you're not being observed by the watchdogs from Jerusalem, which are the conservative Jewish people, what right do you have to require non-Jews to conform to Jewish customs just to make a favorable impression on your own old Jerusalem cronies? And, and then, so Paul had to then just remind Peter of who he was and what the message of grace was all about. It's not about your works. It's not about what you do. It's not about circumcision, about this, about that. It's about God's grace. You can't be good and get to heaven, is what he was saying. 
You cannot do good and get to heaven. You have to know God who is good. That's how you get to heaven. That's what he was reminding Peter and, the, and his people. It says at the very, very end of this chapter, it says this. The accusation is frivolous. If I was trying to be good, I'd be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down. I would be acting as a charlatan. This was a conflict that, that Peter had to go through, and he was being torn both sides like Stretch Armstrong. And how many have at times in life felt like that in moments? Maybe for you it looks like this. You know, you're on Sunday, you're, 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 like you're, a, you're believing in Jesus, believing for amazing things in your life. You, you, everything is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Then you go back to work on Monday, and that, that balloon kind of begins to deflate because you don't like your job very much. All of a sudden, you're mean to your coworkers. All of a sudden, you, you just can't feel that feeling of love that you had for Jesus in the area of your calling in the marketplace. And you have a hard time bridging both worlds together. And you kind of feel like you're being torn on both sides. You're one way here, or you're one way in the spiritual environment, but you're a totally different way out there. Listen, God's grace is good, and God wants to set you free from that because you don't have to fear. You can be who you are wherever you are. Because God is wherever you are all the time. I want to give you three quick points today. I want to outline, I want to give you some time to take notes too as well, so please uh, take notes. Hit your neighbor and say, why aren't you taking notes? I'm really offended right now. <laughs> why aren't you taking notes? Your memory isn't that good. It's good, but it isn't that good. But I want to outline three ways of handling conflict. And I want to ask you the question, which one are you? Okay, now some of you are going to be like, hey, that's me. Some of you are going to be like, hey, that's my wife. <laughs> or that's my husband. Or that's my dad. That's my mom. That's my sister. That's my brother. Some of you are going to be able to do that, but I want you to focus on yourself right now, okay? <laughs> Don't point the finger. Number one, number one, there are those that leap. Everyone say leap. leap. What do I mean by that? So conflict comes. Without any thought, any process of wisdom, you go into attack mode. How many are already bumping their spouse right now or their... You go into attack mode. You don't think about it. You just, you, you leap on the person. You just leap. And how many know that you end up reaping when you leap? You reap the, the consequences of leaping on individuals in the midst of conflict. So how many leapers do we have in here? Come on, put your hand. Let me be bold. Be bold. Bold line. Come on. Be in faith right now. Some of you are like, ah, uh, come on. How many leapers? Wait till I get to the next one. But leapers always leave casualties. And usually, usually leapers believe they're more righteous than everybody else. So they, something bad happens and they just, they react and it's all of a sudden they become like spiritual hulks. Everyone seen the, the superhero, you know, Hulk? And they become like spiritual hulks, like, and they, and they leap on people and they just, they go after. It's like, it's like they close their eyes and they turn into a green monster and they just can't hold themselves back and like, I'm going to tell you how unrighteous you are right now and we're going to deal with this conflict now. I don't care what you feel. You have no time to process. That's what you look like. And then right behind Hulk, we got Juggernaut right here. His name is Juggernaut. Are you guys going to just plow through everything? Juggernaut's superhero power. He just plows through everything. Don't be a Juggernaut. Don't be a Hulk. 
God doesn't want you to leap because God does not want you to reap the consequences of mess in your relationships in the midst of conflict. How many can relate to this? To some degree. You know, science, there was a, a philosopher in, um, uh, in Harvard who discovered this term, fight or flight. Everybody ever heard of it? Yeah. And there's actually a science behind when you have conflict, a conflict arises within you or in a situation with an individual. There are things that are triggered in parts of your brain that send signals to your body that either cause you to go into defense mode, attack mode, or looking for an escape. It's actually like psychological. It's actually something that affects your physical body. And how many have experienced the fight or flight at times? I mean, everybody has to some degree. You're in an intense situation, and, and either you leap like Hulk or you run like Flash. <laughs> but it's not God's heart that you handle situations like this. It's God's heart that you see what he really wants to do in this situation. Look at Luke 22 for a second, a New Living Translation. Verse 47, it says this. This is in the garden, and some of you kind of know this story. Some of you may not. It's, it's, de it's declared differently in a few, t a few t different times in the, the four Gospels. But even as Jesus said this, so he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. The disciples had fallen asleep. He'd gone back to them three times, told them to watch and pray. Temptation is coming. He knows what's about to happen. He's about to get arrested. And the whole process of his crucifixion is about to begin. And he has one last moment, and he's praying. And the Bible talks about in this moment how he's, his body goes in such, such extreme shock that he literally sweats blood. It's actually a, a condition that can happen to your body where under extreme sweat or stress, your, your, the skin pores open up and blood comes out of your, your skin. It's actually, it's actually like a real condition that can happen. And it happened to Jesus. It says he sweat blood. I mean, that's the, the pressure he was under. And he said to Jesus or to the Father, he said, I don't know if I can do this. If, if it's possible, take this cup of death, cup of suffering from me. I don't want to drink it. But... But uh, not my will, but your will be done. So if I have to do it, I'll do it. That's basically what the, c the conclusion he came to. But before all this happened, before he actually, it was taken to the cross, this is what happened in verse 47. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the 12 disciples. Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. Because Judas had said to the, the religious guy, he said, listen, whoever I greet with a kiss, he's the one you need to arrest. How many have ever felt like they've been betrayed with a kiss? Something beautiful. Anybody? Judas, or it says here, verse 48. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed this, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. Like, we got your back, bro. Like, we're going to take everybody out. We're going to behead them all. Oh, I love that. He brought the swords. The question, do you have your sword on you today? None of you have a sword in here. Thank God. Unless you're in a prophetic gathering, then you have a sword probably. But none of you have a sword here today. But the disciples were like, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. Verse 50. And one of them, which was Peter, struck at the high priest's slave's ear, slashing off his right ear. Slashing off his right ear. And sometimes we... We handle conflict like this, don't we? We kind of leap like this. See, Peter leaped that moment. He didn't think. He just leaped. 
he just cut off the guy. That's kind of what sin does to us. You know that? That's, that's what handling situations like this does. It, it cuts off. It, it brings isolation. It cuts off someone's ability to hear what you really have to say when you leap on them. How many know that when you get leaped on in a point of conflict, you kind of shut down sometimes? You have a hard time really hearing now. It's like they cut off your ear. I mean, you're there, you're present, but you have a hard time hearing because all you can do is feel. Feel, feel, feel. You feel like you're getting attacked. You feel, 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 feel. Well, that's kind of what happened in this moment. Peter reacts like Hulk, chops off the slave's ear, and reaps the bloody, messy consequence of reacting to conflict like this when Jesus didn't want that to happen. If Jesus wanted defense, he would have just asked his angels to show up. He even said it later on. I just, I can ask my angels, like, I don't need you guys to fight. Like, you, you fight by the sword, you die by the sword. Listen, like, it's not how my kingdom operates. I got all the backup I need. I don't, you need you to defend me. How many have t- at times seen Christians defend God when it's not their place to defend God? You can argue all you want to defend God, but in the end, it's not going to be your argument that wins them over It's going to be God's grace and goodness that leads them to repentance. That's it. Period. You may be a part of the equation, but if you think that's the end, that's the conclusion, that's all, that's all she wrote. If you just have a good argument, you'll win them. Listen, if they can be won over by an argument, they'll be won out of their relationship with God by an argument. It's by a revelation. Always by a revelation. You with me? So, when handling a conflict this way, we end up leaving a mess. I want to do an illustration. I'm just going to invite Matt up to the front right here for a second. And this is, I want to give you a physical, I want to give you like a, a visual of what handling conflict this way looks like. So we're having an argument and, you know, it, like, just to give you some examples here, it may be to do with, a, you know, the area of money in a relationship. You buy a new couch, and, and the husband or wife didn't agree. You never wanted them to buy a new couch, and they spent all your paycheck on a couch. And you get home, and all of a sudden, everything in you is, co- is conflict, conflict, conflict. All you can see is conflict, and, and you're like, are, are you serious? Like, you, you bought that couch. I told you we, we, didn't, we weren't in agreement. I didn't want to pay, use my whole paycheck to, to buy this couch. And, and all of a sudden, you leap on them, and you're like, ah, ah. <laughs> Look at the mess it makes when you react like Hulk like this, when you react and you, and you leap on the individual, your conflict just gets, it makes everything messy. You can take a seat. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> or how about, how about a conflict uh, arose when you find out somebody was talking trash behind your back and you're, you're like, oh no, it's on now. You want to talk trash behind my back? Let's meet here at six o'clock in the parking lot. I mean, you'd be surprised somehow Christians handle conflict sometimes. You'd be surprised. You'd be really surprised. I'm surprised. Or how about a conflict that arises when someone makes a promise they didn't fulfill, and all of a sudden you get home and you said, you promised, and I get home, you promised, and, this is, and you didn't fulfill your promise, and all of a sudden you leap on them, and you, you get upset at them, and you react. You don't handle conflict the right way. Or how about in the area of a friend, spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, sister, brother, or just somebody who's chronically late all the time? How many know that conflict very well? Like, why are you always late? 
Anybody ever said that out loud to somebody? Anybody ever have a fight on that, you know? Why do you take so long to do your makeup in the morning? Like, let's just get out the door, you know? Like, or something like that, you know? Or how about church life? I mean, we can all know this so, so clear if you've been in church for a long time. Well, I don't agree. I don't agree with the worship. I don't agree with the lyrics. I don't agree with the, the, the dress code. I don't agree. They should all be wearing seven-piece suits on the stage. Come on. I, I don't agree with the seats. I don't agree. Where are the pews? Like, where, where, where are the pews, guys? Like, where are the pews? What happened to the pews? Everything is crumbling behind, like, around us. Where are the pews? Conflict. I mean, in church, it's the worst sometimes, Right? Hey, we pull in and, oh, the pastor's got a nice car. Wait a minute, they shouldn't have a nice car. They should be driving a beat-down 14-year-old Aurora. Oldsmobile that they don't even make anymore in parts. Like, they should be suffering for Jesus. And you can get into the church, you're like, well, oh, they're talking about money again because he wants to drive a nice car. Like, come on. Conflict. I mean, in church, it's everywhere, you guys. Don't just think it's in the church, though. It's everywhere. If it's out there, it's in here. It's part of relationship. But guess what? We get to grow up and get through it if we handle it right. Don't we? Woo! Point number two. Point number two. There are those... That leap, but there are also those that sweep. How do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, conflict arises. I don't want to deal with this conflict right now. I don't like how it makes me feel. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pretend it never happened. And so I'm going to sweep everything under the rug of my life. I'm going to put it all there so nobody sees that there's any issue. Nobody's going to see it. You watch. Nobody's going to see it. And all things will become peaceful. All things will feel peaceful. All conflicts will no longer exist because I'm going to sweep it all under the carpet. No one's going to. This is now my new no-go zone. This is my no-go zone. No one's ever going to be able to go here. You know why? Because I'm standing on it. So nobody can lift up the rug to see the conflicts that are unresolved in my life. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sweep it under the rug. And then I'm going to stand on it. But now I'm a little out of balance because I have unresolved conflict. Now everyone who gets around me says, wow, you look a little weird. You look a little out of balance. Something's wrong with you. I don't know what it is, but I just feel like you look a little awkward. Like there's awkwardness. There's something going on. Well, it's because I have unresolved conflict. You think it's gone. You think you're in peace, but everyone around you feels no peace. Everyone around you feels, wow, there's lots of issues there. They should go see Dr. Joan. In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll get them a ticket to go see Dr. Joan. I'll pay for them to go see Dr. Joan. Joan, where are you? Put your hand up. This is a woman of God right here. Dr. Joan resolves all conflicts. Sometimes these things are demons, and Dr. Joan needs to cast them out of you. That's why it's good to have a little visit with Dr. Jones sometimes, right? So how many know this is awkward? This is uncomfortable. But this is how we deal with conflict sometimes. So how many people might feel like they're a sweeper sometimes? It's okay. It's okay. Because we can be a leaper. It's no worse or different or better than being a sweeper. 
If you're a leaper, I mean, everyone thinks you're a mean, angry loser. If you're a sweeper, everyone thinks you're just awkward and off a little bit. You see, but they're just as equally messed up. Really. Let's put the slide up. This is kind of what depicts sweeping things under the rug. Keep calm and deny everything. Man, like I, you know, I, I would say that at times, if I can be honest, that I've been like Hulk. I like a good fight once in a while. Just going to admit it. Sometimes I do. And without the redemption of God in my life, that's probably all I would do is fight. But I think I've learned to understand that God is, my, is the one who fights for me now. And I used to try to argue people and convince people about things, spiritual things, and I had people try to, you know, uh, like in the beginning of my walk with Christ, tell me that I was, you know, anyways, I won't go through all the experiences, but I, I, I spent five, five, four to five hours at times just arguing people about theological stuff that really, in the end, it was a waste of my time. But I didn't see it at that, uh, as that in the moment, I, and I was kind of like a leaper, you know, I was kind of like a leaper, but I, I reaped the consequences of that. But then, uh, you know, there's other people that I know in my life and around my life, and it's so different than being a leaper. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying one's better than the other. But there's those that sweep, and, and you know, there's been times and I have situations in my own life where I've pursued to, to resolve a conflict, but there's only so far you can go. If the person doesn't want to pull up the rug and deal with what's swept under the rug, then you can't really go further than that. Yeah. But you have to try. Because it's God's heart to restore relationship. Yeah. If you don't try, then you're just as a, much of a victim, or you're, you're just as much you know, at fault for the person who's sweeping under the rug or hiding their issue. God wants it all to come out to the forefront. Yeah. This kind of stuff happens often in, in, in church uh, culture. You know, things kind of get swept under the rug and, you know, there's just issues. Everybody has issues with each other. You know, one person did something a long time ago and they're just eternally offended. No matter what you do, you can't, you can't get through it. You just can't move forward. And, and some of the stuff is so frivolous. Like, I thank God we don't have a lot of politics here about, you know, people arguing about the volume of the worship. You may argue in your car on the way home and I apologize. We have earplugs in the front, but... You may have an issue with the stage. You may, I don't like black. I want it to be white. Thank God we don't get emails like that. Or at least if we do, we go to Joe. I never see them, thank God. But, I mean, thank God we don't have issues like that. A lot of politics here because those are just unimportant conflicts. Do you agree? They're not really that important. You know, and I, I want to just recap something really quick, paraphrase something for you. We're almost done here, but... In 2 Samuel chapters 13 to 15, I'm just going to paraphrase some stuff and then read a few verses out of it. But it's the story of David's, one of David's son, Amnon. Everyone say Amnon. And Amnon likes his half-sister, Tamar. And Amnon is given advice by a friend and one of his cousins actually, and sets this whole elaborate scheme up because he basically he wants to rape his half-sister. Now... That's weird on a lot of levels and disgusting on a lot of levels, but the whole issue is just bad. And so he arranges for his father David to, because David has no idea about this, and he arranges for his father David to 
create a scenario, or not even, he doesn't know he's creating the scenario, but he says, listen, I'm sick in bed. He convinces his father David that he's sick in bed. Amnon is sick in bed. He's not sick, but he's convincing his dad that he's sick in bed. And so he says, David, can you please bring my half-sister to Mary to come bring me food and feed it to me by hand? I, I want her to be the one that helps me while I'm sick in bed. And his whole scheme was to then attack her, rape her. And so this happens, and, and, and David doesn't even know he's a part of something really horrible. And then Absalom, who's David's other son, David's other son, hears word of this because he loves his sister Tamar, and, and, and he doesn't, he wants to protect his sister Tamar, and he's not going to let anything happen to her. And so he hears this, and he's really upset. He's really upset. And so Absalom then, uh, you know, devises this whole scheme, you know, years later to kill his brother, Amnon, for what he did. His whole heart was, you know what, you're going to mess with me, I'm going to mess with you. I'll take revenge on what you've done to my half-sister, to my sister. So Absalom, David's other son, is raged with the revenge, kills Amnon. And then Absalom, after he kills Amnon, flees to a place called Geshur for three years. Goes into a, a kind of like a, a little bit of isolation for three years, away from his family, away from his father, for three years. I don't know what he was going through. Maybe he was seeing Dr. John at the time for all the problems he just had committed and dealing with his issues, but he still had a lot of issues to deal with. And three years he's gone. And the whole time, David does not pursue his son to resolve this conflict. King David was not perfect yet. He was a man after God's own heart. But for some reason, David decided to kind of sweep this under the rug, not really wanting to deal with it. I mean, David had just come through his own issues with adultery and, and murder and you know, time, you know, years later, this happens, and I don't think he's at a place where he wants to deal with this in his own family. So David is angered by this whole situation. That says this in 2 Samuel chapter 13, 38 to 39, says this. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he had been comforted concerning Amnon because he was dead. Now, that, that Hebrew word for long to go to Absalom means this. He ceased to pursue after. He gave up. And how many know, I said this earlier, I said like, to run towards conflict for resolve is honor. To pursue resolution, restoration in the midst of conflict is the most honoring thing to do. The most dishonoring thing you can do is run from it. Sweep it under the rug, pretend it never happened. In any situation of life. 2 Samuel 14 Verse 24 says, And the king said, Let him return to his own house. So now the king invites him back to Jerusalem. He's been in Geshur for three years. Now he's okay. Making one step. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lift up the rug a little bit. Just a little bit. The stuff is still there. I'm going to invite my son back to Jerusalem. He's going to live in his own house again. But it says this. The king said, let him return to his own house, but do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, but did not see the king's face. Verse 28, and Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem, but did not see his own dad. For two years, so five years has gone by. There is no resolve. 
No pursuit from the Father to the Son. So you have, you have five years to get really bitter. I don't know what I'm talking about. Five years is a long time. I'm not allowed to see my own dad. I mean, does my dad even care that my brother raped my sister? Does my dad even care that, that I'm going through a hard time? That's why I killed my brother in defense of my sister? Does my dad even care? I mean, that's what Absalom probably was going through. He had five years to get really bitter. But God said, I don't want to see his face. He kind of kept it under the carpet, made one step, but kept it under the carpet. Eventually, we know the consequence of all of that because when you sweep, you reap bad consequences. And, and in this situation, he reaped some major, major stuff. Death. More death. More relational breakdown as a result of sweeping things under the carpet. Absalom formed a coup and tried to take his father's throne. In the midst of all that, he dies. Gets caught by a, a branch because of his long hair and dies. Author Lynn Anderson says this, The opposite of love is not hatred. It is indifference. Do you hear that? Put that on the screen for a second. The opposite of love is not hatred. It is indifference. It is, isn't that an interesting thing to think about for a second? We think it's hatred. But really, I would say this, like, I hate you if I don't want to deal with this conflict with you. It's hard, but it's kind of the same thing, don't you think? I don't, I don't want to deal with an issue that's between you and I. I want to pretend like it never happened. I want to just live in my issue the whole life and live with our issue the whole life, but I don't want to deal with it. So I kind of, I kind of don't love you. Because if I loved you, I'd want to deal with it, right? Because remember, love and honor, or love and honor pursues to resolve conflict, right? But running away, sweeping it under the rug is a form of dishonor. God wants to change our perspectives in this area. There are those that leap while handling conflict, those that sweep everything under the rug of life when handling conflict, and there are those where their whole aim is to keep the relationship intact when handling conflict. Number three, there are those that keep. There are those that keep. Those that their whole aim is to keep the relationship intact. How many know those people? How many want to be that person? Come on, everyone should be putting their hand up right now. How many want to be a person that doesn't leap on people, that doesn't sweep the issue, that, that runs towards the person in love and says, listen, I want to do whatever I can to work through this conflict because I want to get to heaven one day and say to God that I did everything that I could on the earth to aim for unity with all mankind and every person that I care about in this life. I want to aim for restoration. Come on, that's, that's God's heart. There are those that their whole aim is to keep the relationship. Matthew 5 verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. Peace. I, I, I want to aim for peace. I want to keep the relationship. And if I, if I aim to keep the relationship, I will reap the benefits of that vision, of that aim in my life, because as long as I'm on the right track in faith, aiming for God's best, even if the other party does not reciprocate that aim or reciprocate that, 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 that vibe, then guess what? I'm still justified towards God. God knows I did what I could. I, I didn't just sweep it. I didn't leap. I didn't sweep. I, I'm aiming to keep the relationship. Are you with me? Blessed. The word blessed means become large, become long. 
allowing God to extend his benefits to you. Blessed are you. You create a realm where God can extend his benefits to you when you aim for peace in relationships. Because blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children or sons of God. Sons of God. The word peacemaker means bravely. It bravely declares God's, God's terms, which makes someone whole. Blessed is the person who declares God's terms, which makes a situation or a person whole. Did you hear that? I, I, I create a realm where God extends his benefit to me when I declare God's intention and his aim to make a situation, to make a person, to make a relationship whole. And if I do that, guess what? I'm a son of God. I'm acting as a son. That word for son literally means I exemplify or I share the same nature as my creator. I demonstrate the exact same nature as my creator. Are you with me? Write this down really quick. Three little things. Write this down really quick. Honor with pursuit. In other words, run to the person with which the conflict stands if they're aware of the conflict. Don't, do not put your issue on everybody if they're not aware of the conflict. Run to the person with the conflict where the conflict stands. Number two, honor with presentation. Don't leap on them like Hulk. Don't, don't give them tone. Don't go into attack mode. Don't go into flight mode. Don't go into that imbalanced, aggressive approach. Go with love, kindness, honor with presentation. And then the third thing is honor with purpose. Honor with purpose. Always aim for the highest goal of restoration keeping the relationship intact to the best of your ability. Don't pay evil or repay evil with evil. Romans 12 verse 17. Repay no evil for evil, but take thought for what is honest and proper and noble, aiming to be above reproach in the sight of everyone. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Forgive. Let go. Move forward. That word forgive means to release somebody. Don't hold on to the junk of, of unforgiveness. Don't hold on to the junk of, of hatred and indifference. Don't hold on to the junk under the rug. Let it go. Let the other person go so you can move forward. I want to close with this scripture that we opened up with in Luke 22. We kind of opened up with it. Near the beginning, story of Peter cutting off the ear. I want to close with this, this verse here, Luke 22. But Jesus said, after Peter cut off his ear, he said this, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. So think about this. Like, Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's arrested. He's betrayed by his good friend who handles all the money in his ministry with a kiss. Peter cuts off the ear of this slave to defend Jesus. And Jesus, in the midst of all of that, all those emotions, in the moment, takes a moment, gets down on his knee, and restores the man's ear. You know why? Even in the midst of the fact that these people were the ones that were going to crucify Jesus, his aim was to keep the relationship. I know his aim was as a prophetic sign that sin may have cut off your ability to hear. Sin may have cut off your ability to connect to life as we know it. But because of what I'm about to do, I'm going to restore 
all things. I'm going to restore what's been cut off from you. I'm going to bring you back to full life. And so I know what Jesus was doing. He's prophesying, listen, sin will destroy you. Sin will cut you in pieces, but I'm going to restore you. I'm going to take the time to aim, to keep the relationship that we once had in the beginning of time before sin came in and cut you off from me. So let me just say this, Jesus came to repay evil with good through what he did on the cross. You guys can stand up. This is what Jesus did, you guys. He came to repay evil with good. So he said, listen, you got all this, these issues, you got these, this sin, you got this conflict. I don't have relationship with you. You cut me off. The world's cut you off for me. Sin's cut you off for me. But this is my goal. This is my goal to aim to keep relationship. I'm going to sweep up all the trash. Just like this. And I'm going to put it in the trash. I'm going to sweep up all the garbage. And I'm going to put it in the garbage. It's like you never, it never even existed. I'm going to get all of it to go. I'm not going to just take some of it. I'm going to remove all of it. I'm going to remove all of it. And I'm going to put it in the trash. And guess where it's going to stay? It's going to stay in the trash can. It's going to stay in the trash can. Where it belongs. Your sin, your conflict, your issue. God has dealt with it. It's going to stay here. You can't get it back. 